please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org, and, and this week we have a very special guest. I'm excited that uh, Mr. Ed Stone is joining us here with the studio. He is the first president of GeorgiaCarry.org. He was one of the founding members, someone who knows the intimate details of how this organization organization got started, or the way that they got involved in the legislature, and some of the early battles that happened. And, and I think that this is a very important topic to hit this week because there's so much going on nationally that we need to see how organizations like Georgia Carey get started. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Well, Doug, my old friend, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. This is a great honor. Well, we're, we're very glad to have you here. And so I wanted to just start off with, so how did GeorgiaCarry.org really get started? I mean, we're, I had heard stories about a Shoney's and like five <laughs> guys showing up at a Shoney's. What, give us the inside. Well, we have to go back to the bad old days before we had uh, Jerry Henry as executive director to handle everything. And uh, basically, uh, in Georgia, there wasn't a really uh, organized, well-organized group that was advocating for the right to bear arms here. And uh, the the original group of people who met at the Shoney's were people who met on an old website that doesn't exist anymore called Packing.org. Do you remember that website? I do. It was a national website. It was. And it, it had uh, state forums, and uh, we were all people who met in the Georgia forum. Now, this and is the references I hear to Georgia Packing? No. Well, no, Georgia Packing came later. Okay. Uh, Matt Knighton, who was one of the uh, people who met at that Shoney's, and in fact, he's on our board of directors today, and he does the website for Georgia Carey. Um, he uh, decided when Packing.org was going to go away that it was such a valuable resource that Georgia needed its own. Uh, and so uh, around the same period of time that Georgia Carey was being uh, formulated as an idea in the back room of a Shoney's, uh, he also made uh, the uh, website discussion forum georgiapacking.org, and that really helped get the word out about georgiacarry.org as well. Now, I remember back in the, the old days that they, people thought that they were synonymous, one and the same. <laughs> they, did, they did, but georgiapacking.org is a privately owned website. In fact, he doesn't own it anymore. I'm not entirely sure uh, of the identity of the owner, but it, it's owned by an outside entity and not georgiacarry.org. But getting back to the Shoney's, I had invited uh, uh, basically five other guys, so there were half a dozen of us that met on a Saturday morning uh, at the Shoney's in Douglasville, uh, right off I-20, because it was sort of a central location for where everybody was uh, traveling from. And we basically sketched out on a napkin what we'd like to have happen. Uh, Each of us had been trying to do things as individuals and had basically gotten absolutely nowhere. And we hoped that by organizing our efforts together uh, that we could uh, make some headway. Uh, The actual GeorgiaCarry.org incorporated nonprofit that you know today was incorporated in 2007. Our uh, our meeting in the Shoney's was in 2005 or 2006, and we actually didn't accept members when we first started. 
Yeah, I see now when I first heard about Georgia Carey, I was poking around when I was a public defender. So that was in early to mid 2005. And there was a really blank web page that said that you could send donations to a P.O. box, I think in LJ, maybe. Or, or somewhere in North Georgia. It was somewhere up north that I remember seeing, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder what they're doing. But there wasn't much there. It was very early on. Well, we, we, didn't, ha- we didn't want to have members until we could actually get some substantive progress uh, moving forward, because when you're new, people don't know, uh, does this group have credibility? Who are these people? Uh, and what actually happened, I, I don't know if you remember what firearms licenses were like, but we tackled that as our first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in uh, 2005, 2006, it was not unusual at all to wait six months for a firearms license. That's ridiculous. <laughs> in addition to which, the probate judges were violating the Federal Privacy Act and demanding Social Security numbers as a condition of applying for a firearms license. And in addition to that, they asked for not only your employment information, but contact information for your employer. And many people thought, well, I, I don't necessarily want my boss knowing that I'm getting a, a weapon to, excuse me, a, a license to carry a weapon. Now, let's be clear. That wasn't every probate judge. That was just some. I remember when I got my first one out of Cook County, Georgia, they didn't ask for hardly anything. In fact, I, I think I got it the same day. But it Well, was, actually, the application was uh, promulgated by the Department of Public Safety, the same group that runs the state troopers uh, and wow. uh, the highway program. And so by law, uh, that was delegated to the Department of Public Safety. So it was a uniform form that was used in all 159 probate courts. Which meant that your county wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, (laughs) a a particular judge may not have been using all the spaces on the form or insisting. Uh, But James Camp, who is another one of the original members um, and still sits on the board of directors of GeorgiaCarry.org, applied in Carroll County and refused disclose his employer or his social security number, and he was promptly denied. Uh, Now, we had chosen Carroll County on purpose because that probate judge that year was the president of the Georgia Probate Judges Council. Uh, (laughs) As with every action Georgia Carey has taken, it was carefully planned to have uh, maximum impact. And we had a a temporary order, uh, an injunction in federal court that ordered uh, that judge to process the application without those two items of information. Okay, so this resulted in James Camp getting his weapons carry license, or no? Oh, yes. He, he got his weapons carry license, and more importantly, the Department of Public Safety uh, amended the forms to remove uh, this information. Unfortunately, it took several more lawsuits before probate judges stopped insisting upon things like the Social Security number. But as you know today, those sorts of impediments uh, are not in the way. And, um, and of course, the, the timeline uh, has drastically changed in applying for a license as well. I don't know how often you get to listen to the show, but a little over a month ago, we had a young lady on who just got married. And she had gone to switch her... Um, name on her Georgia weapons carry license and the county she lives in told her that she had to wait until her renewal period and then she had to reapply and get re-fingerprinted instead of just letting her pay a $6 fee like you would have <laughs> and so she's 
carrying around her marriage license with her everywhere she goes so that her current um, weapons carry license is, is valid because she's afraid and, of what oh, would happen. Wow. And we called the probate court in the, that county on air and they refused, they refused to, to discuss talk to it. Us. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Oh, would you mind saying what county it is? Oh, it was Cobb, of course. Cobb County. Okay. But was it Cobb County? <laughs> it was. Okay. That's why I felt so brave about calling the probate court because I know everybody there. But yeah, it was Cobb, and this is still ongoing. That there, she's trying to figure out what to do. So I mean, there's a lot of things that even now probate judges are are kind of off the reservation on. But well, the licensing process has changed a great deal. One of the uh, more beneficial things that has happened is that the uh, fingerprinting, of course, has been taken out at renewal. So basically, you're just doing the uh, NICS check, uh, NICS, at renewal time so that the uh, full uh, fingerprint-based background check is only done at the original time of application. Well, they're making her redo uh, everything because apparently when you get married, your fingerprints change. Your fingerprints change. Your DNA. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have known? So that that's one of the issues that we were trying to figure out a solution to. And I told her, I was like, pretend it's lost. <laughs> and go in there and say, I lost my weapons carry license. My purse was stolen. Oh, and by the way, I got married here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't hear that show. I'm going to go back and listen to it. Yeah. Um, we were hoping to, to find a solution. If you've got any ideas for a solution, just let us know. <laughs> So, okay. so going back to the way Georgia Carey got started, you know, you were making some headway in the probate courts, and, and you'd filed this lawsuit, you'd won, things were starting to build steam, so now you started looking for members? Uh, after we had our first victory, we had a federal court order uh, in our favor that would benefit uh, basically everybody in Georgia who's applying for a license. We went ahead and started admitting members at that period of time. Um, we had tried to get some legislation moving that first year, and uh, were basically unsuccessful due to a, a somewhat more prominent, nationally known organization um, who was asked to review it and held it till it was too late to be introduced and do any good, um, which I won't name, uh, because that national organization works very closely and cooperatively, uh, cooperatively with us today. Right. Uh, but our first major uh, piece of legislation... Uh, was when we picked up um, Representative Timothy Bearden's House Bill 89. Now, we've had Tim Bearden in and on the show yes. already. Yes. Tim Bearden's a great friend and a great American, and I hope he runs for a higher office. But uh, Tim Bearden was a former police officer, and he had this bill that was, it was rather humble and modest to begin with, but uh, it was a car carry bill. Now, I, I don't know if you recall, again, Georgia law used to be really bad on carrying firearms. Glove boxes or trunks? Uh, and basically, if you had a firearms license and your wife did not, and you left a gun under the seat and she drove your car, she could go to jail. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And uh, this bill changed that. So basically, if you're not a convicted felon or for some other reason can't possess the firearm, you could have it anywhere you wanted in the car. All right, Ed. Well, and- we're coming up on a commercial break, so we will pick this up when we come back in just a moment. Stay tuned, folks. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. So when we took our break, we were talking a little bit about House Bill 89 and at the beginning of GeorgiaCarry.org. And, Ed, you were saying that this was a car carry bill that changed things so that, you know, your wife couldn't get arrested if you left your gun in the car if she didn't happen to have a permit. That's correct. Uh, and, and Timothy Bearden, being a, a former police officer himself, was, you know, a, a little offended at some of the people who came out against the bill claiming this would endanger police officers and uh, various claims like that. And, and I'm a former police officer as well. I spent 12 years doing it, and I thought those claims were ridiculous as well. Uh, so we went down to uh, a committee hearing where the bill was being heard to testify in favor of the bill. And the current Speaker of the House, uh, uh, David Ralston, was uh, back then not the Speaker, he was, uh, but he was the chairman of this committee. And there's a video floating around uh, somewhere of, after my introduction, him kind of scowling and narrowing his eyes and looking at me and saying, Who are you again, and uh, whom do you represent? Wow. Well, well, we were brand new. Nobody had heard of us at that point in time. The, the truth is, if you don't have a constituent base that's going to threaten somebody's re-election, they just don't pay attention. And I think, you know, it's, uh, we're somewhere around 10,000 members today. But at the time, I think, uh, uh, at the time that I was actually sitting before his committee, we had, uh, I believe it was 68 members or close to that. So it was still kind of the good old boys club, right? <laughs> Where- <laughs> well, it was growing very fast. As soon as, uh, uh, you know, when you're starting off with, uh, with few members and, and you get a few more, of course, the growth rate looks exponential there at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, we went through this thing. we had a great editorial come out from uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that, that named GeorgiaCarry.org and called us dangerous and extremist. And, of course, uh, the beauty of having – what's that? Best recruiting tool on earth right there. Our our membership doubled in one week after that editorial. Uh, The the beauty of having the name GeorgiaCarry.org is that every time a newspaper mentioned it uh, online, it became an instant hyperlink uh, to the organization. So people would go look at it and say, you know, gee, what looks so dangerous about this group? Uh, I support what they're doing, and they would sign up. Well, you know, I, we've heard we've we've interviewed several of of the the members, board members, in the past, and we've heard the story about the AJC and how they would um, give out names that were not GeorgiaCarry.org but similar to reference uh, us, and so somebody went and pulled all of those websites and hyperlinked them over to the GeorgiaCarry.org website. So if you type that in, it sends you to GeorgiaCarry.org anyway. Oh, that is great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was James Camp who was the one buying up web domains left, right, and center. I hope he didn't use GoDaddy, but in the end, you know, he had a whole <laughs> bunch of different websites that all redirected. So no matter what um, the AJC published as the name of the organization, it went to the right page. So now we're yeah, the I organization think, uh, that shall not be named. <laughs> I think uh, they've learned their lesson, and they tend to write, you know, Georgia gun rights groups or, or something else that's general and vague and nonspecific now. <laughs> yeah. Because every time they mentioned the beast, it grew. <laughs> Truthfully. Well, we, we did a show a while back about uh, AJC's article that guns are more dangerous than cars and more deaths by guns than cars. And we picked that thing like a, a Thanksgiving turkey carcass clean. I mean, it, it's pretty sad the way the media portrays 
gun rights and individual liberty these days, left, right, and center. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Everybody seems to be against. Oh, there is a huge propaganda machine on the other side that is doing its best to twist numbers in everything relating uh, to uh, statistics for uh, shootings in schools to mass shootings. There, there's a, yeah. a website out there now that national figures are quoting as if it's true about the number of mass shootings since Sandy Hook, and it includes at least two instances where uh, four or more people were shot with a pellet gun by a, a 12-year-old. Wow. Oh, well. But see, that's the way the media likes to take things. They like to twist it, and, and it's so important to have organizations like GeorgiaCarry.org because here we are, and we, we're relatively new. We haven't been here a year yet, but we're a news outlet that's telling the truth. So right here, we're, we're sponsored by U.S. Law Shield and GeorgiaCarry.org to, to tell what's really going on in the legislation and gun news and, and the truth about the Second Amendment rather than the, the media's portrayals. And to, and to highlight some of the victories. And that's, you know, House Bill 89 was a huge victory. I mean, it was, it was unheard of at the time that that went through. Well, it ended up expanding into uh, a great many other areas, just uh, other in addition to the car carry language. The car carry portion, of course, ended up passing along with the others. Uh, but at the time, you have to remember, Georgia was not the state it is today. At the time, Georgia had more places off limits to carrying guns than any state in the nation. And that included California. Of course, it actually still includes California today. Uh, but at least we've moved up somewhere towards the middle of the pack on, on that uh, measurement scale, the number of places off limits. Uh, well, but pu- Georgia used to have a public gathering law. You remember that one? Oh, I remember that very well. And uh, it was not only uh, it not only put a bunch of places expressly off limits as listed in the law, but it it said it includes but is not limited to, and therefore could be anywhere. defined. Any way that somebody who wanted to arrest you for carrying a firearm wished to define it. Exactly. And, I mean, it was nebulous. It was vague. It was on the books for, what, 100 years? 140 years. It was passed in response to the um, Camilla Massacre in 1868. They passed the legislation in 1870, and the, the design of the law was to make sure that black Republicans... Uh, could not uh, carry guns to political rallies or churches, which um, uh, at the Camilla Massacre, uh, some of the uh, blacks had been armed, and when they were attacked by a white Democrat mob under the direction of the local sheriff, um, the report came back to the General Assembly that several of them had uh, defended themselves for several minutes before fleeing. And the General Assembly, their response to that was, we can't have that, and they passed the public gathering law, which exempted uh, deputies and, uh, excuse me, sheriffs and their deputies, in other words, the people who committed the massacre in this instance. You know, we didn't get that law off of the books until 2010. So from 1870 to 2010, that was the law in Georgia. I, I, I remember this very well, and what st- stands out in my mind was when Mike Menkes was testifying in front, I believe it was in front of the Senate, it might have been in front of the House, but he was testifying, and the representative from Camilla was on that committee. And I remember that... That, that was Senator, a senator, yeah, Senator Hooks. Yes. He got all offended because Camilla was pronounced incorrectly, wasn't it? Well, he came <laughs> off his chair to defend the, the, the good name of his town against Mike Menkes. Well, <laughs> well look, uh, that, that is true, but Senator Hooks has been a friend to our legislation, and 
you have to remember that uh, he, he represents that area, and there were several people descended from the families that were involved in that incident as well, and he felt honor-bound to defend the honor of, of his area there. And that's understandable. Uh, it's understandable, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't believe that people today bear the sins of their ancestors. Right. Uh, but I'm glad you mentioned Mike Menkes, uh, because uh, Mike Menkes is a treasure. He, he was made a, an emeritus board member at the last uh, Georgia Carey Convention in August for his contributions to the group. Mike was one of the first uh, six people that met in the back of that Shoney's, and he served on the board, and I believe he was our first uh, treasurer. Um, and, uh, and he puts together uh, some great research, and I urge anybody who's listening to go to georgiacarey.org and click on articles and research and read some of the things that, that Mike Menkes has put together for the group. Because they have, um, he's the first one who opened my eyes to what happened at the Camilla Massacre and the history of the public gathering law and the history of Georgia's licensing law. Uh, The entire reason why Georgia is one of only 13 states that requires a license to carry a handgun openly. Most people don't know that, um, that the majority of states in the U.S. require no license if you carry openly. Yeah, for a lot of states, it's open carry with no license. It's concealed. Concealment with. is the issue. Yeah, he put together a shocking report, which you can read at the at the website called "Disarm the Negroes," and and that title comes from an Atlanta Constitution article in 1906, and explains very clearly the history and intentions behind these things and why they came about. And basically, it's necessary to understand those things to understand where we are today and how we ended up where we are. Well, it's kind of nice to know that in, in over a hundred years, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution stance has never changed. They have Neither always wanted to disarm people. <laughs> <laughs> Neither has that of, of uh, at least some members of the Democratic Party. Well, you know, it's it's really important that groups like georgiacarry.org get founded everywhere and start to make meaningful change because our Second Amendment rights are under assault now more than ever before. I mean, people are are just bound and determined to take away our right to defend ourselves. Well, you know, I, I agree with you, and actually that has happened um, in several locations. Uh, even the name has been used in other states, uh, for example, uh, one uh, I'd like to just point out is WisconsinCarry.org. I saw uh, FloridaCarry.org the other day. FloridaCarry and AlabamaCarry.org. Well, I was bringing up Wisconsin because the, Wisconsin was such an anti-gun state. And WisconsinCarry.org uh, changed Wisconsin dramatically in a very short period of time. And actually, I, I'm not sure of the status today, but for a while there... They went from a no-carry state where officers would arrest you uh, at the site of a firearm and, and did it frequently uh, to a state that basically had better laws for, than Georgia did within a period of about two years. Yeah, and they did a tremendous work up there. Wisconsin has had really a cultural revolution following the election of some uh, the Republican governor up there and a lot of changes. But, Ed, we are coming up to another commercial break. I want to thank you for joining us, and I know that you have to run, but thank you so much for coming on the show, and we will have you on again in the near future. Doug, thank you very much, my old friend, for having me on. It was very good to talk with you. It was good to see you again. We'll, we'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned. We're going to have some national news in just a minute.
now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Well, welcome back, everybody. That was an exciting guest, Jesse. I really am glad that Ed was able to come on because, you know, he has a, a full-time practice doing construction law uh, that keeps him tied up all the time, plus the time he devotes to what he does with Georgia Carey. And it's hard to get him scheduled, but what a what a tremendous guest with such a depth of knowledge. Now, he's he's a local attorney as well. You said he handles construction law. Mm-hmm. He's also handled some of the lawsuits from Georgia Carey, if I'm not mistaken. He's been involved in lots of things. I mean, the, that man has really poured his heart and soul into that organization and I know that it was at at a lot of personal cost at some times to do that but he really believed in a cause and he was willing to make personal sacrifices to make this group a reality And, and I think all of Georgia owes him and the other founding members an eternal debt. You know, I, I look at this organization and I realize that we've got so many wonderful professionals involved, especially, you know, local attorneys and, and business owners. And it's always a great thing to see di- different kinds of people coming together for the same cause. And, you know, you can get dissuaded. There are times when you look and you, you see people who are jumping on the bandwagon, who are trying to you know promote other ideas or who, you know, really aren't in it for, for the common good, who are trying to do self aggrandizement or honestly you know when you start to get over 10,000 members you can get a bunch of people who just really aren't really up to snuff on a lot of things but when you look at the people who really like for example Mark Gilbert out there every weekend it seems like trying to hand out flyers and get people involved or you know it's a rarity that I see anybody with the dedication of Mark Gilbert and Buddy and Buddy, Buddy. Simpson, yeah. And the minute that there's some kind of festival or something, they're on it and Boom. they're out there and they're recruiting. And they spend their whole Saturdays doing it. Yeah, just, and it, and it's for, just amazing you know, no, to me. for no pay. In fact, it costs them money. It costs them to drive out to Cartersville or to drive out to Sonoya or to Livonia or wherever they're going. It costs them money to buy their lunch out instead of being able to eat at home where it's a little cheaper. They cost them money to do this. They don't make money. It costs them money. Yet they're out there doing it every single weekend. And really, I think that they do it just because they enjoy the people. Yeah. They enjoy meeting new people and talking they, to new people and, well, and talking they, about what they enjoy and what they believe in. And, and that's what it takes to make it an organization like this run. They could be hanging out at the VFW and doing the same thing. Yeah, but, but they're talking to the same people over and over again at the VFW where you see different faces and, and different backgrounds and, and just different people at different festivals. And this, you know, this kind of group, this kind of camaraderie, this kind of drive is what makes this, you know, work. And it's important. And, and Ed was saying, you know, about Wisconsin and how Wisconsin has mirrored what it was done in Georgia. And you mentioned, you know, Alabama and Florida and that this is a growing movement nationally. And this is important because around the country, things are happening that are changing Georgia law nationwide. And this is scary stuff. I, I want to read an article that I saw on the American Thinker. You go to AmericanThinker.com. It's up there. The It was pu- published on October 20th. Uh, and it was written by Michael Philosoph. So it was I've, published yesterday. Yeah, I'm, I may well, not be... Last week. I may not be pronouncing that right, but it's F-I-L-O-Z-O-F. You can find him on AmericanThinker.com. Anyway, the, he titled his article, A Court Decision Paves Way for Australian-Style Gun Ban. And this kind of caught my attention, because usually when there are court decisions, they're not really that sweeping. And so I thought, you know, what is this guy barking at that he's going up here? But he says, on Monday... 
The Court of Appeals for the Second U.S. Circuit, now that's New York, issued a long-awaited decision on the constitutionality of the most drastic gun control law in U.S. history, the New York SAFE Act of 2013. The Second Circuit ruled nearly all of the law does not violate the Second Amendment. Now, this is going to set up an issue, because if we get another state that would rule differently, but it's kind of hard because this is a one-state's law. Now, pause for a second. What does the phrase nearly all of the law does not violate? That means some parts do. Well, I'm, I'm getting down there. We're, we're going to – I think it's important to talk, like he does here, about how the SAFE Act was passed. And this is where GeorgiaCarry.org comes into it, okay? So listen to how New York passed the SAFE Act and then imagine if this could ever happen in Georgia. All right. So the Secure Ammunition and Firearms Enforcement Act was presented to the New York State Senate and passed into law in 15 minutes. There was no debate allowed. Senators did not have time to read the bill before voting it into law. Think about that. Could that ever happen in Georgia? Could that ever happen in Georgia? No way. There would be people over this like white on rice. And then on top of that, you'd have the moment that it was signed by the Senate, it would go to the House, and then there would be debate. And even if there wasn't any debate in the House, if they found some way to use a Reconciliation Act to push it through, it'd go to the governor. And the governor isn't going to sign it in 15 minutes. And I can guarantee you, GeorgiaCarry.org would be all over the steps of the Capitol demanding that this not be signed. And the tremendous political pressure brought to bear. But New York doesn't have this sort of thing. So there we go. The SAFE Act is a complete ban on the sale or transfer of some semi-automatic rifles manufactured within the past several decades. It's a total ban on AR-15s, AR-47s, M14s, M1As, uh, G3s, and Steyr AUGs, which is one of my favorites. It also regulates certain magazines, doesn't it? It it does. It also regulates uh, many other civilian copies of military firearms. Prior to the passage of the law, Governor Cuomo publicly stated that he he was considering confiscation of existing rifles, but the final version of the law allowed existing owners to keep their rifles. As long as they registered them with the state, upon the death of the owner, the rifles will be confiscated. It cannot be transferred to an heir within the New York State. Man, it's time to set up an LLC or something. Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. I mean, could you get around the law that way? But I think it's just time to move. I mean, the New York has gone off the deep end, and these people need to be, you know, like rats in the sinking ship. So I think all of the New York gun owners should go ahead and move to Georgia, join GeorgiaCarry.org, and let New York... It erupt in crime like it's about to. Well, the American thinker goes on to discuss your magazine issue. He says, uh, the SAFE Act also enacted a complete ban on the possession of all firearms magazines capable of holding more than 10 rounds. Capable of holding more than 10 rounds. So it's not that it has actually more than 10 rounds in it. Now, here's my question. Is this, is a 10-round magazine more dangerous or a 12-round magazine more dangerous than a 10-round? I mean... Well, you know, uh, I, apparently John Browning thought so because when he had a chance to redesign the 1911 under license in Belgium, he made the Browning High Power, which is a 13-round instead of a 7-round. So well, I He mean, was just trying to make it a little more convenient so you didn't have to carry around as many extra magazines. Well, you know, we're looking at this, and the, the, the SAFE Act has no grandfather provisions. So if your magazine is illegal, then it's illegal, and you, you don't get, no matter when you bought it, it's illegal. And here's a question I've always had. When this first came up, you know, I was working as a DA, and I looked at it, and I was like, okay, a magazine that holds ten, more than 10 rounds. Do you know that a standard 20-round AR magazine is a 6-round 50 Beowulf magazine? Really? Yeah, it holds 20 rounds of two, two, three. The exact same magazine holds six rounds of 50 Beowulf. So how do you determine whether it's a 20-round mag or a six-round mag? 
it's somebody's perception and see there's there's some danger there absolutely with perceptions okay beyond that going back to the article the safe act banned all private transfers of firearms bans all private transfers of firearms. So in order to buy a firearm from a friend, you have to go through an an FFL FFL to do it. Except for between, among spouses, parents, and children. It created an ammunition purchase background check and ammunition purchase registry. Now that used to be a federal thing, didn't it? It did. Where you had to go through a background check to get ammunition? Well, it wasn't a background check, but it was a registry. Prior to the, the Firearm Owner Protection Act of 1986, which is not very aptly named because it banned the manufacturer of new machine guns. But before FOPA, when you purchased ammunition, you had to provide ID and they would record your name in a bound book. So there was a record somewhere of how much ammunition you were purchasing. It wasn't turned in. It wasn't like, you know, nationally filed. But I imagine that if it had continued on the books till today, that they would have required some kind of national filing of these registers. So this had been going on in all across the country. Now it's back in New York. Uh, it banned the private sale of ammunition, except from a licensed dealer, and created a secret reporting requirement under the mental health professionals must pr- report anyone suspected of being a danger to the state police for mandatory gun confiscation. Now that the Second Circuit has upheld the law, residents in the court's jurisdiction have no recourse except to take the case to the U.S. Supreme Court, where there will be a guaranteed four votes against the Second Amendment. And the, the author writes, as I wrote last year, Governor Como and former Mayor Bloomberg, the backers of the SAFE Act, were betting that the law would be upheld by the Supreme Court, thus paving the way for a national version of the law, which has already been introduced in the Senate by Dianne Feinstein, Democrat of California. Indeed, Como immediately calls for a national SAFE Act as soon as the Second Circuit issued its ruling on Monday. The Second Circuit's decision comes only one week for, after both President Obama and Hillary Clinton publicly praised the Australian and British government gun confiscations of the 1990s. The SAFE Act is upheld by the Supreme Court. (coughs) Nothing prevents Congress from summarily outlawing tens of millions of firearms overnight. Once the firearms become contraband, the government may confiscate and destroy them without compensation or the owner, just as the government confiscates and destroys illegal drugs. The Second Circuit's decision leaves the Second Amendment in its gravest peril ever. And I I think that that is just a a horrifying concept as we move into yet another commercial break. But it's time for us to start standing up, because what happens in one state starts to bleed into the national realm, which will then be imposed on another state. And I'm not going to say of whether I'm pro or con, but this is what happened with gay marriage. One state started to allow it. And then it bled into another state and another state, and this is how laws change well, that, federally. A, that, that's been a, a rallying cry for a long time, saying that the way the gay marriage was changed is a way that we can change gun laws. But now it seems to be going against guns direction. instead of pro, pro guns. It's the same tactic either way. Folks, we're at a commercial break. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Folks, welcome back. You know, when we took the break, we were saying how the, this kind of creep is happening in our laws. And the, the gay marriage issue, that which you brought up, Jesse, is exactly there. There were so many people who were saying, OK, well, if my marriage license you know, issued in one state has to be recognized in all states, why can't my carry license be recognized in all states? But now we're starting to see another avenue where bad laws start to be, be accepted, be ruled constitutional, and then forced through a national system, which would then impose them on states that don't believe in those rights and and here we have or those uh, restrictions and and works for rights or restrictions and are we going to be able to force states like Georgia to enact 
federal. I mean, we already have in a lot of ways. I mean, Georgia never was a state that had any prohibition on you know suppressors or machine guns up until the feds prohibited it all, and then we made our laws say, well, whatever's you know, we'll we'll handle it ourselves. But as long as you're in compliance with federal law, we aren't going to care about it. And so we see the federal government dictating the way our laws are going to be. And see. I think that that's very unfair because from what my understanding has always been is that the laws of the states were for the states to govern themselves. And well, so these laws should be very state-mandated rather than federally. And The federal government has certain things that are their jurisprudence and ju- their jurisdiction only, and that they're supposed to be. I mean, making treaties, you know, lawsuits between the states, uh, raising an army. These are things that the federal government is supposed to prohibit the states from doing. But anything that isn't specifically laid out in the Constitution for the federal government is reserved to the states. More than that, there's a history and English common law of police powers being local. And these are things where you decide whether people can carry a weapon or how they, you know, handle, you know, basic crimes or at a local level. Did you know that up until 1963, there wasn't even a federal prohibition on murder? Really? Yeah. Do you know what happened in 63 that made it a federal crime to start killing people? Let's think Grassy Knoll. John F. Kennedy. I was thinking JFK, yeah. the, the assassination of exactly. JFK. Exactly. The, but they that had to be prosecuted in Texas because it wasn't a crime to kill the president. And suddenly we had this explosion of new, where the federal government started to overlap state laws. But at that time, if you had gone in 1962 and say, should murder be a federal crime, people would have laughed at you because the feds had no business in that. That was always a local issue. Now, now there's a crime to almost say that phrase about killing the president. Well, you, you know, know the, the the truth they is they can is charge that you with almost anything nowadays. The the federal government has had mission creep, to borrow a military term, where they have completely overshadowed what local governments do. And so here we are. We are a local organization that is trying to change local laws to make Georgia as best as possible. But if we don't keep an eye on what's happening in New York or California, if we say, well, let's just leave California to the Californians or those New Yorkers, they're they're you know that's they're tough. Well, guess what? Next thing you know, it's upheld as being constitutional, and then Congress starts passing it because there's becoming fewer and fewer gun owners nationwide, and we're becoming more and more localized, and the largest population centers like New York and California get the most electoral votes, and they start shifting the balance of Congress. California alone gets, what, 48 people in the House of Representatives, and Georgia gets 12 or 16? Um. I mean, the, 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 it's skewed. And as we get the smaller, more rural, less populated states or the, become the bastions of freedom, they're going to get overrun by a majority that just wants something for nothing. So what do we do about it? We get involved. And the way we get involved is by joining GeorgiaCarry.org. And if you're not a member, you can become a member by going to GeorgiaCarry.org and clicking on the membership tab on the left-hand side. You can also go to any event locally, and there should be a GeorgiaCarry.org booth set up where you can have membership. This is fairs, Pro- festivals. Probably staffed by Mark Gilbert. Uh, it's very possible. <laughs> you could you could meet our good friend Mark. You can also go to any of the local chapter meetings. And actually, there's a new chapter now, and it's um, being led up by the, the Wheelers, Cindy like, and Michael Wheeler. Th- this sounds like a, a, the beginning of a, an episode of Once Upon a Time. A new chapter begins. Oh. <laughs> um, in 
not Smyrna. Where did I say? Gwinnett. Gwinnett. Up in Gwinnett County, they're going to have the Northeast chapter. Which is, by the way, the only county that has ever thrown me out of the courthouse for having an empty holster. Just like to bring that up again. Yeah, for some reason, you're just holding a grudge about that. It was an empty holster, I understand, but let it go, Doug. Just let it go. So anyway, if you're wanting to join up, you can go to any of the local chapter events. There's chapters all over the Atlanta area, north, south, now east and west. Uh, you also have one down Macon, south of the state. We've got Macon. We've got Valdosta. We've got the North Georgia chapter. I hear that there's rumblings in Augusta. Things are popping up all over the state. So you can go and, and be a member and join and the cost is only twenty dollars a year twenty dollars a year to five hundred dollars for a lifetime and for a lifetime you get some perks is it a pocket knife and a hat you get a hat and a knife and you get to meet with the the guests and the board you get some special treatment at, at the, convention the convention every year and it's, that sounds like a good deal that's my next deal is i'm just going to go ahead and pay for the lifetime membership there you go i need that hat yeah put it on your head cover your bald spot <laughs> hey i'm growing my hair back i know Thank you, Rogaine. No. <laughs> but anyway, you know, GeorgiaCarry.org is, is a wonderful thing to get involved in. You know, I've always wanted to be involved somewhere. And this allows me to, to get involved and, and do what I enjoy doing. Because at, at GeorgiaCarry.org, there's a place for, for everyone's talents. Whether you're going out and, and recruiting at a booth or, or you're on the radio or you're going into court, there's a, there's a place for everyone's talents. Mm-hmm. So we welcome everyone to, to join and become a part and if you're listening to us online and you'd like to hear us on your local radio station you contact your station and you say hey i want i listen to this radio show online and i'd love for you guys to carry it and you send us that information at yeah, radio tell us who you talk to tell us who the station manager who you talk to give us their phone number you called and we will follow up with them and make sure that we can get this syndicated show on their station so that you can listen to it and save your data so you send that info to radio at georgiacarry.org and we'll follow up with your radio station and try to get on your local radio station because we would love to be on air all over the state. In the meantime, you can also follow us on Facebook where we have hundreds of followers who are, are looking at the different things we post up. 257. There we go. Mm-hmm. And it's time to get that number well over 10,000 like we should have. Since we have 10,000 members, we should get 10,000 followers on our Facebook page so that you can see the, the latest updates. And in the meantime, you can send us a message on our Facebook page because next week we have a very very special show next week's show is going to be 32nd horror movies dun, dun, dun. yeah nice duck we're going to um discuss how horror movies would have been different had someone had a firearm and some training if, have you ever watched a horror movie you know, it's late at night and you're watching and, they're, you know, like you're Psycho, they're creeping three minutes up the in stairs. And you're, like, and you're like, if they had only had a gun right then, this thing would be over. That's what we're going to do. We are going to do. reenact movies in 30 seconds where they ended the way they should have if a GeorgiaCarry.org member had been in the scene. So you're going to hear Doug's best little girl voice. <laughs> not not a horror movie, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty horrible for me. Well, I have enjoyed this episode. It was good talking to Ed Stone. 
Oh, it's always good talking to Ed. He he's he's one never of the most, condescending. He doesn't talk down one of the to anyone. Most uplifting people I've ever <laughs> met. Every time I talk to him, I just I, I tell you, it, it changes your perception of the day. So, uh, folks, I hope that you've enjoyed the show. We are uh, coming up to the end of the show. Tune in next week. We're going to be on here, same bat time, same bat channel, and it'll be the great Halloween episode of 2015. See you then. Thank you for listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.